So the record was 101 full iron distance triathlons. I did 102 to break the record, and then I went on to do 105 just to do a few more. And um, yeah, it was definitely the hardest because I had to do the 3.9K swim, 180K bike, and the 42K run every single day. And if I missed one kilometer of the run at the end of the day, then it was it was finished, record's over. So yeah, it was quite difficult to just keep on it every day, you know, every day. I never thought once that I couldn't do it, not once. So there was never any doubt. And for me, there's never, that's part of my mantra, like no plan B, there's no get out of jail, like this is what you have to do. And there's, it's non-negotiable. Getting up at 4.29, non-negotiable. And not once, when that alarm went off every single day, not once did I think, oh, I just, I don't want to do this. Dear listeners, this show is brought to you by Freeletics. Building a fitness routine took my life to a new level. Energy, confidence, health, feeling good about my body, staying young and agile. But most of us find it enormously difficult to build such a routine. The motivation is lacking, the workouts feel bad, the plan doesn't adapt, the success doesn't materialize. But it is possible to be healthy, fit, and enjoy your life. Because I certainly did not want to be held hostage to a fitness routine or feel that I am somehow missing out on life just to be fit. For those willing to invest a few minutes of their day to develop a determined lifelong workout routine, Freeletics offers a simple lifestyle, personalized workout plans, and data-driven insights to maximize your likelihood of success while having fun. Start now at freeletics.com. Also, this show is sponsored by Stadium. The scientifically proven benefits of training with weights are indisputable. For the major physiological systems in your body, such as muscle size, strength, athletic performance, functional capacity, also for the increase in bone density, and the improvements in cardiovascular, cognitive, and psychological health. Working out with weights is almost a magic bullet. And now you can have all of these benefits at home. Stadium offers you high quality, stylish weight training equipment that you will love to have lying around your place. Get it at stadium.com. Thank you for supporting the show and checking out our sponsors. And now let's start with the conversation. Welcome to This One Life. Today on the show, Sean Conway. Sean is a Zimbabwean endurance athlete, adventurer, author, and motivational speaker. He became the first person to cycle, swim, and run the length of Great Britain. In 2016, he completed the world's longest triathlon, a 4,200-mile journey around the coast of Britain. Recently, he broke a world record by completing 102 ultra-endurance triathlons in 102 days. That's 2.4 miles swimming, 112 miles cycling, 26.2 miles running every day for 102 days a total of 14,763 miles. Sean, very excited to have you on the show. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, Yeah, I've not really heard the figures talked out loud much. Um, someone did say, though, the 14,000 is something like London to, to Sydney or, or something scary, but <laughs> try not to think about that, to be honest. Yeah, you would have to think whether a normal person moves that much in their whole life, you know, and, and not just in 102 days. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's um, it's weird. Like, we were just chatting before this. Like, while I was doing it, it felt like a lifetime. But now that I've done it, it was just like a little click. And it's like, what? Did, did that happen? Like, it's yeah, because obviously I'm so tired. My memory's terrible. And every day was the same, identical, you know. And by the end, it was identical to what I ate at what times, you know, cause I got so nailed into the system that worked for me. Um, yeah, it was, it's, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird feeling now sort of half <laughs> going, did that, did that really happen? Was it a dream? You know, maybe it's also a protection mechanism of your mind to shield you from the, the pain and, and get you ready for your next adventure. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, I even joke that I'm basically a stupid goldfish because you know, I, I, I just forget the pain pretty quickly. Uh, and then I'm not clever enough to think about the fact that it's going to be difficult again. So <laughs> it's the perfect combination, really. <laughs> we have that same joke in the uh, entrepreneurial space. Obviously, the pain is not as big as what you, you have been gone through. But um, if, if you don't turn around on the weekend and forget some of the pains of the week, then you're not going to get up on Monday morning again. <laughs> yep, it's so true. It's so true, you know. Uh, the 102 other marathons in 102 days, was that actually your hardest challenge so far? Because you have done quite a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, so I landed up, so the record was 101 full iron distance triathlons. I did 102 to break the record and then I went on to do 105 just to do a few more. And, um, yeah, it was definitely the hardest because, but I mean, I've done a lot of hard stuff, so my bar's pretty high. But the thing that really made it hard is there was no averaging. So a lot of other records, like when I got my across Europe cycling record for a speed record, you know, I could have a short day as long as I had a longer day the next day. And, you know, if there was bad weather, I could rest up and then hope that on a good weather day, I would make up the mileage. And, you know, there's an averaging involved. Whereas with this one, there's no averaging. So I had to do the distance, the, the, you know, the, the five, what's it? 4k swim, 3.9k swim, 180k bike and the 42k run every single day. And if I missed one kilometer of the run at the end of the day, um, then it was, it was finished records over. So yeah, it was quite difficult to just keep on it every day. You know, every day I've got to nail everything, all the, the 10 pillars of endurance, which is, uh, planning experience, fitness, health, nutrition, hydration, sleep, muscle management, motivation, uh, and community. And every day I had to nail all of those. And if I didn't, then I wouldn't, I'd either be getting slower and slower, and then I just wouldn't, you know, get the recovery, uh, or I wouldn't make the cutoff at all. So, or I'd get injured or there's a million things that could have gone wrong. So yeah, it was, it was hard to just be on it the whole time while exhausted and in a lot of pain because it's quite painful doing that every day you know you just have no recovery i i can't even start to imagine how how that's even possible to do and and yeah imagine if somewhere on day 
98 after going through all that pain there, there's an injury or an accident and you, you can't make it on, on on that day there's no way to let's just say you know hurdle up in your tent and and you try to get the injury under control and, and start again tomorrow so i can very well um understand that can you walk us through one of those days um how, what are you doing and maybe you can choose a, a day that has been easier for you and a day that has been really challenging for you also so where are the difference differences between those days yeah, yeah okay so yeah the um i so my eat my best day i guess you know I, I can't remember it was around day 50 something 60 something no early 60s late 50s those when my times were pretty good so I started slow, I got a bit fixed faster around the middle, and then I slowly got a bit slower at the end. But a good day for me was I get up at 4.29 in the morning, every morning. Um, it was 4.34, but I found I was getting up, A, in a rush, because I was trying to hustle for minutes. And I was finding I was getting in the pool at one minute past five or two minutes past five. And I was like, no, that's, I don't want that. Like, I've lost the day already if I'm not in the pool before five. So I moved my alarm clock to 4.29 a.m. Uh, there was one of my crew members was staying with me. I would then in bed, I'd turn the light on straight away, get my eyes open, get the light in my eyes to wake me up a bit. And then I would do a bit of stretching in bed, lower back stretching mainly, um, you know, putting your knee over. And then when I heard my crew put the porridge in the microwave, I'd get out of bed. So I'd get out of the bed, I'd go to the living, uh, to the kitchen, and I would sit on the edge of the table and I would do some uh, nerve flossing. So you sort of bounce your, your chin down and lift your legs up and curl your toes towards you and you bounce your nerves just to stretch out the nerves inside me. Then I'd jump in the car, drink my porridge and chia mix with butter and a bit of honey uh, on the way to the pool. It was about nine minutes to the pool. Get to the pool, have a caffeine shot, which made me need the toilet immediately, which was brilliant. So I got the toilet out of the way uh, while I had a toilet. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm going in the bushes, which I did a lot, but you know, I was <laughs> trying my best anyway. Um, got changed in the pool, one minute to five, hopefully on a good day. Um, and then swim, swim usually took me about an hour 15 to an hour 20 on a good day. Um, and I would eat and drink a little bit during the swim get out the pool, transition one was as quick as possible. You know, I tr treated this like I was doing an Ironman. So 10 minute transition, which is slow if you're doing a real Ironman, but you know, I wasn't recovering. I wasn't sitting there getting, getting physio or having a full meal. You know, I got out, showered, brushed my teeth, always like I needed to look, look after my gum health and stuff. Uh, got changed onto the bike, got on the bike, hopefully for around 6.30, 6.30, 6.35, 6.35, do the bike leg. And then on a, on a good bike leg, it was six hours. And I would stop every 90 minutes uh, at a feed station and I'd stop there for about 10 minutes. And again, that was pretty bang on 10 minutes each station. So I had half an hour recovery within the bike leg. Um, so I did six hours and then uh, total time, including the, the transitions on a good day. Then I'd get to the run. Uh, run transition T2 was a little slower usually, around 15 minutes, you know, but on a good day, 15 minutes probably because um, I had to put more sun cream on and change kit completely and all that. Uh, then I'd start the run and the run was two laps. It was a 23 and a half K lap and about a 19 K lap on the second lap. And I would 
have Phil on the on a bike, one of my crew following me on a bicycle. So I didn't have to carry anything. He and he would just make me drink and eat. He was great. He was like, Sean, you need to drink now. And he just passed me a bottle and I would just drink it and um and I would also have a couple of meals during that. And then I, you know, on the good day I was finishing at oh, I think my earliest finish was six quarter past six, I want to say. What is that? Eleven no. Five is twelve. Yeah, quarter past six. Uh, in the evening, which gave me a 10 hours, pretty much um, 10 and a half hours recovery before the next day. So that was a good day. A bad day was similar, but I'd get in the pool late, you know, uh, because I was injured or sore. And then the swim was slow. You know, my slowest swim was an hour 35, I think. You know, then I'm getting, I think this the latest I got on the bike was 7 a.m. So that's already half an hour down. And then some days the weather was just terrible. You know, I live in North Wales and it was raining and windy. And some days I didn't have many people or no people at all, follow, you know, joining me on the bike. So if I've got headwinds and I'm feeling fatigued and I'm not maybe eating so well and I'm going to the toilet, you know, the, my worst day, I went to the toilet seven times because of gut issues and, and overfueling. All the calories that you need to get in. Yeah, and my gut just wasn't ready to absorb it all, to be honest. Um, and then, you know, it took me eight hours. My I think my eight hours 15 was my slowest bike, which is two hours slower than my quickest bike. So then I'm getting on the run at four o'clock in the afternoon. And then again, my slowest run on, you know, I picked up a couple of knee injuries early on uh, and an ankle injury. Uh, so I'm hobbling the run. It's taking me six and a half hours, six hours. I think my slowest run was six hours, 45 which got me in at five minutes to 10 and 10 o'clock in the evening was the cutoff. There's a 17 hour cutoff for the record. Um, and I had to finish by 10 o'clock each night. Otherwise I wouldn't make the cutoff. So yeah, I mean, day two and three, I barely made the cutoff because of the injuries, but then I, I got some taping and I got some patella straps for the run. And then my time slowly got quicker and quicker and quicker. Um, and yeah, so th those are sort of, the contrast but i was really you know it took until like day 50 or 60 to have nailed the system really because you know my my tastes were changing there's some things i wanted to eat there's some things i didn't want to eat there's some things i enjoyed yesterday and then to hated today made, made me want to vomit so it was trying to just find a system that i was that would work for me and um yeah so from about day 50 on i i, I pretty much nailed um what i thought was something that was sustainable, which meant, you know, for me, sustainability, if someone else is going to go for this record, which they will, you really need to be able to do a 14 hour minimum in zone one, maybe bottom of it, bottom end of zone two heart rate. If you can do that, then it's sustainable. Then you can, you're getting enough sleep in the evening, you're getting enough recovery time, you can do a bit of physio if you need to. But as soon as you start hitting the, 50, the 16 hours or 17 hours, you're just not getting enough sleep. So yeah, that was, um, that was sort of how I approached it in my training to get fast enough to be able to bring it way back to be able to, to just sustain that day after day. If you would, uh, just a very small question here for, for understanding, um, don't want to dive too deep into this, but if you would do that distance, so that daily distance 
in in a in a mental mindset hey i only have to do this once and i want to do this as fast as possible what would be your overall time you know just to get a comparison between that i think so i was i was you know now i've been training with a couple of people who did like iron hamburg so hamburg let's go with hamburg because two of my friends did hamburg and we're at a similar fitness sort of i'm maybe a bit slower on the run but they did 940s um for hamburg ironman uh so I think, I think I could push a sub ten hour. I think. Um, okay, and you were averaging what per day? Third, I was doing about thirteen and a half hours. Okay, for, okay. for the hundred and five days. So, um, yeah. So I was yeah thirteen and a half, fourteen really. I guess fourteen was my most common time and the time I tried to aim for, uh, which it was a seven seven o'clock finish. It feels that you, I think you said before that you were waking up at 4.29. So yeah. it feels that every minute counts. Um, how how have you thought about balancing, uh, hey, I could do the whole distance a bit slower. So for example, you know, take 16 hours, then, then maybe the strain during that, um, during the movement is not as big, but then I have less recovery time. How do you think about this? So I, I... I originally thought 15 hours was going to be the sweet spot. So in all my experience, I was sort of, and I looked at my training and I thought, right, well, 15 hours gives me nine hours recovery. And I've got some half an hour each side messing around, which gets me eight hours sleep. That's sort of what I thought. But it turns out 15 hours didn't get me enough sleep. Once I'd, you know, it was half an hour to drive home from the end of the run. So I had that in the car and then there was a bit of faff time bit of eating at home. So 15 hours meant I was mostly only getting about seven hours, 15, seven and a half hours sleep. So I then worked out, right, let's go quicker. So eventually, once I got to 14 hours, then I was definitely getting eight hours sleep. And I found that sustainable. I then did try and push harder. So there's a few times where I tried to sort of do sub 13 hours in my head for a while. I was like, right, I definitely can do a sub 13. And Unfortunately, my heart rate was just too high and the power on the bike was too high. And I suffered for two or three days after that. You know, we just looked at my numbers and we're like, right, every time you've tried to go hard or go a little bit faster and break maybe the sub 13, then you're really slow for like three or four days after. So I, I sort of did it by trial and error, really. And then eventually I sort of, you know, it was hard because there's a terrier in me who was always wanting to like, go one minute quicker, go five minutes quicker. And that kind of kept it exciting. Um, but then eventually I had to realize around day 60, I was like, you're never getting quicker now, Sean. Just like chill out, be happy with 14 hours. Yes. You know, because the day I did like 13 and a quarter and 13 and a half, those are also the days where I got to see my kids in the evening a little bit. Because if I was any slower than 14, then they were in bed already. Um so, the, you know, there was a big part of me who was like, oh, if I can just do sub 13, I'll get an hour with the kids before I have to go to sleep. And and it's amazing how much energy you get from, you know, I got from my kids seeing them in the evening. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was just sort of trial and error, really. And for me, I, I believe at, at the fitness level I was at, 14 hours was the sweet spot, I think. And I think if I'd maybe, I went into it a bit undertrained because I was ill in, in the beginning of the year. You know, I think I could have made 13 hours as zone one uh, full distance, I think. But mainly I was just staying on heart rate. I'd keep my heart rate about 110 average and it meant that was sustainable every day.
What what is it really like, especially when you look at the downside? So from thirty thousand feet away, you're doing something that is extremely challenging challenging in itself, just doing it on one day. Um, then you're doing that repeatedly for more than 100 days. It's not just the physical strain, but it is like doing every day the same thing. It's an immense pressure likely also. The further you go down into the days, then you've already invested so much. So you know now failing would be um, a, a terrible event. Then um, there are these days which you have explained where the weather is really bad. Your gut does not really... Um, feel good. Um, and I would assume just like any other normal person, sometimes it just feels more difficult in the morning. So, you know, how are these, how do you, do you experience doubt or, 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 or loneliness and fear? How do you handle the discomfort on really on those days where um, all of these signals are, are, are negative and it just gets as hard as it can get? Yeah. So interesting. I never, I never thought once that I couldn't do it. Not once. Um, I thought when I got the knee injury on day two, I thought, oh, this might make me too slow. And I'll then just really, I might, you know, eventually miss the cutoff. So that was the first time I thought that I might have an issue from a physical point of view. Uh, it didn't really affect my mental side. I just thought, right, well, it's only day two. I started quite early in the year and I, I think I could have got up to day 20, got it, got quite a serious injury, recovered for eight weeks and still started um, again this year before the weather gets bad. So that's why I started quite early in, in, in April. But um, yeah, so there was never any doubt. And for me, there's never, that's part of my mantra, like no plan B, there's no get out of jail. Like this is what you have to do. And there's, it's non-negotiable. Getting up at 4.29, non-negotiable. And not once, when that alarm went off every single day, not once did I think, oh, I just I don't want to do this. I got up and I was like, well, I have to do it because this is what I'm doing and I have to do it. So I genuinely never questioned any of it. Um, and when it's hard, you know, I sort of know from experience that a hard day today means, you know, it definitely means tomorrow might not be hard. You know, and a good day today means tomorrow might not be good either. So you can't take your foot off the gas on the easy days because then when the hard day comes, you're not prepared for it. And on the hard days, you know, don't, A, don't push too hard on the hard days when there's bad weather because you're just going to go in the red. And B, you got to keep a level head, man. Like if you get stressed out by the hard days, even if tomorrow's a good day, you're going to have all that stress hormones in your body you know, all that sort of thing. So it was very much trying to keep a very calm, level-headed sort of approach to things. Um, and that was quite easy because all my crew were pretty chilled, you know, and the the people that came and joined me were very sort of stoic and, and just matter of fact. And, you know, and that, and that was great. I think if I had been surrounded by people who are just like, oh my God, this is, oh, this is terrible, right? We've got to do this. Come on, change it. You know, like that was just not my style. <laughs> so um, I am, I'm quite good at that bit of being quite stoic and quite level-headed. And I think that helps. Um, and just knowing that I just need to get through today. And I, I am, for the most part, by halfway through the bike ride, I knew I was, what my end time was roughly going to be within half an hour. 
So, you know, most days I knew that even if I'd had a really bad run, I was still going to make the cutoff. Um, and then I just needed to work out why I was having a bad day. Look back at the last two days, food, sleep, nutrition, water, hydration, everything, weather, whatever, and worked out why I'm having a bad day and see if we can fix it. So yeah, every day it was just constant analyzing everything from, you know, just everything, literally the power I put out on the bike, what I ate, when I ate it, how I was feeling, my mood, all the stuff was, was sort of put in a spreadsheet and we kind of used that to gauge potential trends later on, you know, like, oh, right, Sean, you felt terrible today and it looks like you ate, you know, you didn't have enough salt, so maybe we'll up your salt. And then I had too much salt one day and I was massively bloated and they're like, right, <laughs> okay, now we know that, you know, 20 grams is too much salt, so let's back that off a bit. So, um, yeah, it was all just constantly. And, and weirdly, that was quite good for my brain, you know, and I, thinking about all those things sort of took my brain, my brain space away from the pain and the misery and all that other stuff that happened every day. But it, it yeah, just allowed me to focus my mind on something else, you know. Yeah, if you have a clear process um, that 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 helps to um, unfocus from these uh, unpleasant feelings that you have, but but still looking at it from a from 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 a, from a higher level, it is remarkable how your mindset is because um, I think we all do understand rationally that you know they're just things that you are you need to do and so better do them and don't complain don't don't doubt um there is an immense safety buffer of the human mind where you know at a point where your human mind says you can't do it anymore there's still so much more than what you can actually still do but the vast majority of people cannot tap into that superpower as regularly or as consistently as what you have described. And obviously by far not, you know, in that intensity. So I'm wondering why can you do it? How are you, you know, how is, uh, how are you able to operate in, in, in such a um, mindset and maybe, how much is that connected to the, and we haven't talked about that, to the reason, the why you're going through these challenges? Yeah, so I've thought about this a lot because I firmly believe that, and I am because I've been tested, I'm no different to anyone else. I have no biological advantage to anyone. Um, I've done all the tests and all the labs in the same labs as the Brownlee brothers, Chris Froome, Rory McElroy, Jensen Button, you know, this human, there's a big human performance lab in London. And they invited me in thinking that maybe they'll find something interesting in me. And I secretly hoped that they would. <laughs> and then papers will be written about me for forever. And, um, but no, they, they looked at once I did all the results, I'm no fitter than anyone. My VO2 max is pretty, pretty bad, to be honest. I think it's 62 or something. Um, my FTP is not great on the bike either. So I, I'm not pushing big power, I think maybe 280 on a good day. Uh, my fastest marathon ever is four and a half hours. So, you know, I'm really just a normal guy and I can just go on forever. So the thing that differentiates me is a, is a couple of things. You know, the experience you feel for the most part, you know, there's pain and then there's sort of fatigue and then there's sort of mojo, motivation. Um, the, those 
you know, and there's injury. There's the injury. That's the biggest one because uh, a lot of people without experience, and you know, I'm just trying to think how to explain this properly. But with experience, I know how to fix a lot of those. You know, so if there's a potential injury, it, you know, if I'm feeling something in my knee, I've got 12 years of experience that goes well. Actually, that means I'm tight in the hip flexor, which means I'm maybe tight in the lower back because I pull harder with my right arm and the swim. Um, and maybe that's changing my technique. I look at the underside of my trainers and see where it's wearing. And I'm like, well, this bit's wearing more than that bit. So I'm obviously doing this. And that just comes with experience. So I can fix a lot of the little, the pain that would lead to injury uh, through experience. Then there's other pain. There's just the lactic acid pain, which obviously I didn't have any lactic acid, but that sort of feeling, if you know what I mean. Um, and the, you know, that's just pain and you just deal with it, you know, and hydration fixes some of it. Salt can fix some of it. Uh, stretching can fix some of it. Um, rest can fix some of it, but you often just need to deal with it and push through it. And then your motivation and your fatigue levels, you know, food, hydration and nutrition fixes a lot of those. Like often when you're feeling like, oh, I'm just not fit enough. This challenge is too difficult. Honestly, half the time it's you've just not eaten well or you or you dehydrated. Uh, so if you just get on top of those. So I think everyone can do it. A, you, you can talk about it, is the why. Do they want it bad enough? And B, are they actively looking for and analyzing exactly why they don't want to do it so and that's what i'm good at so even though i never i never quit anything i i by choice you know i've had to quit because of injuries of course um but people who go into something and then go oh, i just i just don't want to do this i'm not feeling good and blah 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 at those points in my from my perspective i really analyze why I'm not feeling good, right? Why, why don't I want to carry on? Is it pain? Is it because I'm just bored? Is it lonely? Is it, you know, I miss my family? Is it I don't want to be here? You know, and there's, I try and pinpoint the reason and then I work backwards and I think, right, well, let's start with the basics. Let's drink some water and have some, a bit more salt. Maybe let's eat some food. Let's do a bit of stretching. Let's look up into the sky and get light into the back of the eyeball. Um, Let's phone my wife, phone the kids. Like, you know, there's there's a million things you can try and do. And then you'll be surprised how often all of a sudden you're like, oh, actually, I don't feel that bad. And then you can sort of carry on. But I, I guess my point being back to the original question is the only the reason I do it is A, I want I want it a lot. You know, I I want it just more than anything. Uh, and B, I've got a lot of experience which enables me to overcome all the little hurdles that are thrown at me on a minute by minute basis on this challenge, you know? What is the reason why you want it so badly? Because yeah, the, the, the reason why you do stuff is, 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 is the key um, motivator. And it's just basically the, the flip side of the coin. When you ask yourself, why don't I want to go uh, through this pain or through this challenge? Yeah, I, I just, people ask me this and I've tried to come up with answers that I think might be the answer. But I then think, you know, I, I got after the podcast or the interview, I'm like, I don't know if it really was that, you know, I'm like, oh, well, I want to impress my kids as being a cool dad, which is is sort of true. And, you know, I want to inspire other people and I want to raise money for charity. But I think that, you know, I'm a monkey terrier. And like, why does a terrier chase a tennis ball when you throw it? It'll always chase the tennis ball. You throw a tennis ball, the terrier I had will chase the tennis ball. And 
you, it doesn't know why. It just has to. Ch- it just has to chase the tennis ball, and I am the same. I just I have to do it. I if it's easier to do it than not to do it, and if I don't do it, I get agitated and I tear up the furniture like my terrier used to do as well. So, and you know, maybe I need to sit down and get someone to dig into my brain and you know get me to answer some proper questions about it one day. But <laughs> yeah, I can't. I mean, that's the simple thing is is I have to. I have to chase things and I can't not. And if I don't chase them, I get agitated. Um, yeah. So there's no, yeah, there's no big grand philosophical answer there. Unfortunately, it's, it's just in my nature, you know, is there any, uh, dark side to the drive that you have been describing? So what I mean is that a lot of people who have accomplished, uh, great things have a part of the motivation that lies, for example, in insecurities. So it's building up confidence. It's it's a retreat from their other life that they're not happy with. And I don't want to imply that these specific reasons are the case with you, but just trying to feel, get a feeling for whether you think there's something which, um, which basically... Uh, a negative side to all the motivation, all the drive that you're ha- having. Would you wish to be sometimes less extreme? Uh, well, de- no, definitely not. I love, I love this side of me that chases things. It, it's very re- rewarding. Uh, I enjoy everything about it. You know, I found, you know, and that's why I do. So the thing I need to chase something, and the thing that satisfies the terrier. for the most of me is these long really long physical challenges so the downside is sometimes i can well a lot of the time most of the time i'll go into something unprepared so that's the downside because someone's thrown the ball already and what i should do is work out whether i can actually catch the ball first (laughs) uh, and then plan to catch it but often i chase the ball before i'm prepared and then i get injured Uh, and that's happened a lot you know, running the length of Britain took me two attempts. My across Europe cycling world record took me two attempts. The Iron 105 took me two attempts. So I'm like, that, that is the, one of the biggest downsides is I go into stuff unprepared. The other one is probably going to come later in life when I can physically no longer chase the stuff I want to chase because of age. Um, so I'm at the moment just putting my fingers in my ears and going la 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 no 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 don't talk to me about that I'll think about no it later. Plan B. <laughs> yeah, no plan B, whatever. Um I am so this this the next 12 months I'm gonna start doing shorter events. So I'm doing a double iron this weekend, a continuous. Uh I've never done one day race. Uh, you know, the shortest thing I've ever done is like run across Iceland or something, you know, like nine days. Like I've never done anything short. Um, so I'm quite looking forward to that, to be honest. I'm quite looking forward to potentially chasing just slightly shorter things. They're equally hard. Like a, a, a continuous double is 30 hours long, you know, with no sleep. So it's not like it's easy just because it's shorter. Um, so maybe I'll just start chasing things like that instead. Uh, so I don't know, again, uh, ask me in 10 years time and I'll probably have a very different answer. <laughs> so, but yeah, the, the negative side is definitely I go into stuff unprepared. How old are you now? 42. So I'm pretty, pretty good age for the next 
10 years really like in fact even longer so my um my friend decker dave he's just won a decker iron in switzerland so that's 10 and it's a continuous decker so that's a that's a 400 380 kilometer swim followed by a 1800 kilometer bike ride and then ending off with a 420 kilometer run and he's just won it so he won it overall fastest first person to cross the finish line and he's 64 years old so when you do the long stuff it is it favors age because age comes with experience and mainly experience to be fair um so yeah i've I've still got years i'm not that bothered about my age yet uh in fact i'm probably a little young really for some of the the older stuff the guy who had the previous record was 45 46 i want to say so yeah age is on my side for for the long stuff so i'm happy about that at least uh, two very different questions uh, the 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 one is how does a um, you know, Decker, um, Autoton, however you called it, how, how does it work operationally if, um, to, to do that? And the second and the actual bigger question is, um, how does this ultra endurance challenges, how do they trend versus uh, longevity? You know, do they help? Are they detrimental? Um, how do you think about that? Well, I'll get, I'll get out there. So the first, the decker, you're saying, how does that work, really? So the swim's in a pool. So you just swim in the pool. takes a couple of days. You can sleep whenever you want to sleep. You just got to do the distance. Then you go on the bike. And this one had a three and uh, a five-kilometer loop. So you just go around the loop five, <laughs> five kilometers at a time until you've done 1,800 kilometers. And then it's the same on the run. So this, the run and the bike are on the same loop. And... Um, yeah, so that's practically how you do it. And you can sleep whenever you want. So you have your own little tent uh, and you have you go and sleep whenever you need, but the clock doesn't stop and you're up against other people. So you've got to sleep less than they sleep or go faster. Uh, so, so basically, like the other time, somebody's in the water, somebody's on the, on, on, you know, on the track and, and, and running and you just join in when, whenever, whenever you want. How many people do something yeah like that. I, th I think maybe there was 10 people who did this race yeah there's cutoffs so if you don't do if you're not halfway on the swim by the end of day two or something they pull you out because they're like you're never going to finish you're going to take a month for this right so usually by the time halfway through the bike most people are out of the pool i would i would have thought the leader once the leader's halfway through up through the bike um and then yeah so i, th I don't know what the cutoff is for a decker continuous he took 12 days i think was it 12 days yeah I, 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 300 hours i think it was pretty impressive so um yeah it's um yeah it's hard it's hard uh what was the second question the second question was longevity, longevity. Um, how do you think ultra endurance impacts longevity yeah i don't know so you there is a point where you're gonna ruin your joints i feel like i think runners you know there's quite a lot of history of runners who've run their whole life you ruin can have messed up knees but then there are other runners who've run their whole life who have pretty good knees i think it's just managing it um i think it's a bit like anything i i think there are some people who over push it and they get a thing called like it's cardio malai i can't remember the name but it's a, it's a um a big heart and the problem with that is like you know you see bodybuilders when they stop bodybuilding if they just stop, they just get all flabby and weak and your heart can do the same. So if you've done a lot of exercise and you're, you've got an, an enlarged heart, if you just stop, your heart can just get weak. 
So you need to detrain your heart as well, apparently. I luckily had a heart scan like a week after I finished and I didn't have an inflamed heart. Um, I just had a normal heart. So I was pretty happy with that. So yeah, I'm not, not actually sure on the longevity thing. I think, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Might, <laughs> I might keel over at 60. Who knows? <laughs> How do you think about the ultra endurance activities uh, when it comes to longevity? How does that impact longevity in your opinion? Um, I don't know, to be honest, I haven't, I, I had my heart tested and it's fine. Uh, no abnormalities there. I've still got some time, I think, to test the waters on this one. I've not been doing endurance my whole life. I only started when I was 30. So I, my joints haven't had a pounding from the age of sort of 15 or whatever, if I had started running or uh, at a younger age. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to know where it's going i try not think about it because <laughs> you know the the worst case scenario is i've shortened my life by 10 years because i've put it under too much strain i don't think the case because between things I, i'm i generally sort of recover quite well you know i'm i don't overtrain that much every now and then i do but i think i'm pretty good i mean i've looked at all the training data for a lot of the other pro pros in the world you know they're doing more than me so i th i think i'm fine i think i'm fine these one-off things every couple of years i hope aren't going to be too detrimental yeah i mean they're likely not going to be any real studies because they're too little test sub you know study subjects that you could that you could slot into such a study how's your diet quality generally uh, because i had um somebody on the show who's a very big um fan or um supports plant-based diet and he had talked about research where they had looked at endurance athletes and you know um some of them who went uh who did quite some distances not 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 even even close as much as what you are doing but generally compared to the normal population and interestingly their initial results was hey wait a moment some of their longevity markers actually trend worse than a more sedentary um, population but the interesting thing that they then found out was that the likely reason for that was that these endurance athletes because of their increased calorie needs just shoved in more of the bad stuff of food so you know the 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 processed food the the bad fats and so on and so forth and that was actually the the cause of worse longevity markers in their case and it didn't really have anything to do with uh with the in with the endurance part likely that has even buffered some of the negative effects yeah and i'm i'm one of those people to be honest you know i needed to eat eight thousand calories a day and you know it's a that's a lot of salad and vegetables <laughs> if you were going to do plant-based eight thousand it is doable don't get me wrong I, I probably i just you know i got to a point where i i wanted to consume i wanted to spend as little time chewing and swallowing as possible so for every mouthful i swallowed I wanted that to be the most calories I could find just to it, it helped my digestion. Um, I didn't want too much fiber either. Uh, I could get it in me quickly so that I saved me on a time point of view. So eventually I got down to almost having no vegetables for 105 days, which I regret. I wish I, 
I'd had more, I think I would have felt better, especially if my evening meal maybe had been entirely vegetables. Um, but I just got into a, a rhythm and a system and I was like, right, the system's sort of working, like just don't change it. So I was eating basically milks, so cheeses and cream and milk. Uh, milks, meats, not a lot of meat, but some meat, um, nuts, fruit and grains. And that's basically what I survived on. And I had, and then I had some powders in my bottles, I had some electrolyte powders and some carbohydrate powders uh, in the water bottles during my bike and run. So that's how I got my calories. And, and, it, and again, as I said, you know, you're right. I was just shoving in stuff that had high calorie value because again, I didn't need to perform at a speed, like a high end speed level. Um, I just needed to kind of keep from losing weight. That was almost like I needed the energy, of course, but I was so fatigued that food really didn't change my performance all that much. I was so tired anyway. Whereas I needed to not lose weight because if I started on that downhill spiral on weight, then my power would have gone potentially and um, and then I would have just got slower and then had less recovery and then it's just a downhill spiral. So I was really sort of super adamant to just keep the weight on from a nutrition point of view. So the high fat diet, uh, animal fat mainly in the form of cream uh, and cheeses um, that kept me from losing too much weight. You know, I only lost three kgs, which is amazing. I was, you know, I thought I'd lose way more and I, I was hoping to lose only about two kgs, which, and I didn't go in heavy because uh, I didn't want to run heavy. I didn't want to be three, four kgs heavier to start because then my run would have taken a battering. Um, so I wanted to run at a good weight from day one to avoid injury and just keep on top of the nutrition from day one. And I, I did a pretty good job. I did a pretty good job. So I was happy with that. Yeah. I mean, totally understand. Like if you have such a goal like this and especially how many calories were you, were you getting in every day? Yeah, about 8,000, 7,000, 8,000. Um, I, I don't which, think there's really a practical yeah. way to do that predominantly plant-based. That does not seem to yeah. um, work work pretty well. Um, well, I think I think it could if you had a lot of nut butters and nut oils. Okay, yeah, um, if you take that, if you, if you yeah. take that into plant-based, yeah. Yeah, I think that would have, would have worked. Um, but, you know, sometimes I just couldn't chew nuts and I couldn't chew peanut butter. I just I would make me want to vomit, you know, some days I could, but most of the days I couldn't. So whereas I could drink, you know, like a small cup, like a teacup of cream, and that would be probably 700 calories in that. You could down it in like a minute. So again, not saying cream's probably the best energy source, but it, it probably was quite good because I was running at 110 heart rate. So I was sort of heavy in the fat burning zone. Um, and I had zero sugar outside as in glucose. Um, pretty much uh, for the whole three and a half months. I had no sugar in my diet other than, so I had fructose, so I had fruit. So there was that in my diet and in some of my rice puddings, and there is a bit of sugar and cream to be fair. So it wasn't a zero sugar diet, but I never had any gels, didn't have any sweets, chocolate, Haribo, any of the, any soft drinks, no Coke, Sprite, Fanta, like none of that. And no fruit juice either. So yeah, I, I just really stuck to the the high fat thing. Um, but yeah, I, I I think if I did it again, I would somehow try and throw in some nice vegetables because I craved them. Don't get me wrong, I was like wanting vegetables, but I was so scared to change the system. I'm like, because I look at a bowl, like you get a bowl of carbonara at home, a nice big bowl. That's easy, a thousand calories, easily. You know, you have a bowl of like you know roasted veg, <laughs> it's like 250 calories. I was like, well. 
of course I'm going to go for the thousand calories, aren't I? How do you manage the transition into the, for lack of a better word, normal word, then um, also from a nutritional side? I mean, just to give a different perspective, talk to um, quite a lot of professional athletes before, for example, in the soccer space, and they have repeatedly talked about, yeah, I was coming off that certain training volume that we just had every day and, and every week, which is far less than what you have been done, uh, what you have been doing, but but still they had big challenges to uh, regulate into a much lower calorie requirement that you then had on your um, post-professional um, working days. Yeah, it, it, it was actually worked out quite well. So I was, I started at 70 kgs. I went down to 60 seven kgs pretty much 66.8 i think was the lightest on one day but i was ended at 67 kgs i then for three weeks after i finished man i was hungry i was just eating all day every day and i put on about a kg a week for three weeks um and i got back up to i'm now 69.8 call it 70 and um i've i've actually then lost my appetite yeah weirdly once i got back to 70 my appetite went and um, I eat, we eat pretty well at home here. We do one of those, those every week that we get sent a box of, of, of raw ingredients and then they give you a recipe book and all the things are in the box. So I don't have to go to the shop. And that's when I used to buy crap food because I was like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to cook. I have to drive to the shop and I just buy a pizza or something. Whereas now all the fresh ingredients come every week. And it, that's mostly vegetarian, um, not vegan, but vegetarian most. You know, four days a week we're pretty much vegetarian at home so it was easy to eat healthy again so yeah it's, it's worked out quite well um uh, and i'm a good eater anyway I, I other than having a bit of um sugar in my tea in the morning i don't really have sugary things i don't really crave chocolate i have a lact um well, lact i have a yeast intolerance so i don't eat bread uh don't eat cookies and stuff because it might have yeast in so my diet's pretty good anyway, so I, you know I think I've nailed that side. If anything, I undereat, you know, like Caroline, because I, I, again after that three weeks in normal life, I don't really get get that hungry, and I'll go a whole day without eating. And Caroline, I'll come, she'll come home and you know come into the room and I'll be white. <laughs> She's like, "Have you eaten today?" And I was like, "Uh, oh no, I haven't actually. Yeah, I should probably eat something." Um, so I, yeah, I don't really get hungry that often. So um. I never overeat, which is why I've stayed 70 kgs for 20 years or something like no matter, you know, it's just my base weight, really. How do you think about pleasure in your life? Because from everything that you've so far explained, um, you get a picture of a very um, rational, very control almost is like a too bad word for that, but I'm still going to stick with it. Very rational, very controlled um, person that has a mission that executes what needs to get done, but is not in a real pleasure seeking mode as such. So big parts of our society currently are, might be with fast food and, and sweets or with social media or with porn or w whatever. Um, is this just something that you, are there any other sites that we haven't touched upon yet? Or is that this not the way how you operate or do just these things that you do give you such an immense pleasure? Yeah. So a, um, so I'm a monkey terrier. So the terrier we've talked about is I chase things, but the rest of the time I'm actually a monkey and the monkey just, 
is very inquisitive, likes to learn, likes to fix things, likes to make things. I have to make things with my hands. I'm quite into classic cars, so I've always got an old classic car that I'm fixing up. And I'm actually, you'll like, I'm currently fixing up an old uh, German split screen combi camper van from the 60s. Um, so it's, um, yeah, it's lovely. Uh, so I have to just do stuff with, and that gives me pleasure. If I just do, I've got a veggie, vegetable garden at the back of the house and I do my vegetable gardens. I love doing mowing the lawn and doing things with my hands and building stuff for the kids. Uh, so I have lots of hobbies and they, they give me pleasure. I love training. And I love following a training program. So, you know, I've got a record that I want to do in March and I'll set a training program. And when I tick, when I achieve that program and it gives me a, bl a green tick on training peaks, oh man, I love it. If I go a week and I've not ticked all that, you get a pie chart on training peaks, which, you know, whenever you do a, a, a successful training program, it goes green. So if you've got 10, you've got 10 things of the pie chart. And every time you do a training program that's either too short or too long, it's orange. And if you miss one, it's red. So at the end of the week, you get this pie chart. And me has to be green. The whole pie chart has to be green every week. Um, and I love it. You know, I love following my training program. It gives me a real, real sort of incentive and pleasure there. So, uh, yeah, but mainly the stuff. And, and I've got young kids, four-year-old and a two-year-old. You know, that keeps me busy and keeps my mind uh, busy. Um, and I love writing. I've written uh, six books that are worth reading. <laughs> There's one that's not worth reading. Um, but uh, yeah, I've written six books. Cut that bit out. <laughs> Which one was no, the one is not um, worth, worth reading? <laughs> uh, it's called World Cycling Stripped Bear. It was good when it came out 12 years ago, whenever. Uh, it's just outdated now. So the, the, the information is old. I was talking about countries that were dangerous to go through that are now safe and countries that are safe to go through that are now dangerous and um so and nutrition's changed and kit bikes have changed so if you read it now it's dated so yeah the, sort of uh, that one's unpublished so i don't think you can't even find it you can find it in charity shops i i i did find one at a charity shop uh a while back so i, I did buy it one pound 20 it was a bargain it was 10 quid when i sold it um so yeah uh, i love writing yeah so you know that, that gives me huge pleasure you know in my office here my whole wall next to me is a blackboard and I just write all over it, storyboard things and stuff. So, yeah, I, 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 there's a lot of stuff that makes me happy, to be fair. You, you seem like a very, very special person. And even though I would deem myself as somebody who's pretty focused uh, in in what I'm doing, and uh, I, I still, after listening to you, I feel equally a mixture of being inspired and feeling bad about <laughs> how I spend my time. Uh, yeah you are repeatedly pushing the boundaries of what is considered broadly considered possible um, or maybe sane if you want to call it <laughs> how do you determine for yourself what you think is is possible what's a worthwhile challenge and uh is everything possible for you is it just if it's somehow humanly imaginable um is it possible for you or where do you think is a real limit what would you not be able to do? Yeah, I mean, there's certain certain things that I think maybe I would be maybe too old for now, for example. Uh, I'm quite short. I'm only five foot seven and maybe five foot eight on a good day. <laughs> um, so that's well, one meter 70. So 
and I'm only 68, 69 kgs on a good on a on my race weight. So if there was anything that needed good big power, for example, you know, I couldn't do that. Like I will never get a king of the mountain uh, cycling record. Like I, I'm too heavy, you know, I, and I've I've got a bit of a sprint on me. So, but so I know I, I sort of know my limits in some things. But for the long endurance stuff, there's there's actually there's only one record that I've looked at and gone, wow, that I would that's hard for me. Um, actually, no, there's two. There's two. One was Mark Beaumont's Around the World Cycle Challenge. Um, actually, there's more than there's, there's there's quite a few. So his Around the World Cycle Challenge, he he did in he averaged 240 miles a day. That's so a lot. Yeah, yeah nearly nearly 400 kilometers every day you know like and that you know he because the roads are flat he was 85 kgs so his ftp would have been higher so he could have pushed much higher power and still stayed quite tucked in on the aero bars whereas i was there's no way i'd be able to push big enough power i could probably still do 240 miles a day but just biologically it would be a little harder for me on a flat course on a hilly course different story because i was i'd been lighter then the other ones that are I think I could do it, but really they're hard, you know, all the big running records. So the length of Britain running record, you know, that's nearly 160 miles a day. Uh, sorry, 160 kilometers a day running for 10 days. The across America running record, that was 130 for 35 days. I, I've probably got the maths wrong, but it's similar. It's somewhere there. You know, it's well over the 100 kilometers a day for running the woman who ran the length of new zealand emma timis um she was doing 100 kilometers a day for 20 days to do the new zealand run so there's those ones where i think i could do it just i would need a lot more in my legs right now i think i'd need to give myself another three or four years of of run training and then and then maybe and then hopefully i'm still i think i'd, I'd still be young enough to be fair but um but yeah, so mostly I I feel I could do it, but there are some records out there that you've everything has to go right, weather has to go right, you know, you can't get ill or you know, and they just start they're getting harder and harder, <laughs> I guess. Um but I, I sort of believe I could do it, but maybe maybe I just don't want it enough, some of them. But, you know, watch this space. <laughs> You are talking about the most extreme of the most extreme uh, endurance uh, challenges right now and say, okay, maybe you could do it, but it would be very tough or you would have to train a little bit uh, to, to, to get it done. But that means there's a ton of other things that um, normal people would deem utterly unimpossible where you say, yeah, you know, I, 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 could, I could definitely do it. And uh, of course, there's a lot of, um, because you've proven you can do it and there's the experience that you've mentioned before in, 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 in doing it, the trust in your body, but how, how much is it also just a belief putting yourself in that mindset? I'm, I'm Sean, I know that I can do these things and therefore already, you know, a lot of things that even if there's no physical difference between my prior and, 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 and now, but if you would basically split your personality and you just have that belief, how much do you think that mindset and belief without the experience and the physical, you have done that and you have prepared for it, how, how much of a difference does that already make? Belief is a big one. And I have 100% belief. When I go into anything, I 100% believe it's a done deal. So even for the 105 full irons, 
I printed numbers up to 123. So in my head, it was a brain hack. It was like, not only am I going to do the 102, I'm actually going to be so good. I'm going to go up to 123. Like, so I went into it being like, right, yeah, I'm going to smash it and I'm going to go further. And that was my way of, of hacking my brain into this sort of ignorant, ignorant, arrogant, you know, type area where I was like, I'm just going to do it. Like it's a done deal. And I guess I trained hard, but it's, you can't ignore the experience and everything because you can have all the belief in the world, but if you've not trained, you're going to get nowhere. You know, it, you've got to have a hundred percent belief and you've got to have a hundred percent physical ability because, you know, if it was taking me 17 hours to do one of the four irons, it's not sustainable. I'm not fit enough. I can have all the belief in the world, but eventually I'm going to miss that cutoff or something's going to go wrong and it's just not going to happen because I wasn't fit enough. Whereas, so yes, you need the belief to start with and then hopefully that motivates you to, you know, train harder and push harder, but you still have to have physical markers. You know, you can't just wing it on mindset. Absolutely not. You know, there's no way, you know, you've got to, you've got to, yeah, the belief, you know, once you get to the physical point, yeah, then there's belief that'll get you that extra 5% maybe. But you've got to be near the top of the top of the chart in fitness as well. Otherwise, you just you can't believe your way into it. <laughs> Otherwise, you know you're just going to get injured or or not not do the time. To be fair, like if if someone said tomorrow, Sean, go and run a three hour, you know, or, yeah, three hour marathon. I can have all the belief in the world, but that's probably never going to happen <laughs> tomorrow. I maybe in three or four months' time, if I do some speed work, I could get there, but it's just it will not happen. Like it's just not gonna happen. When when you come back home uh, after 102 of these uh, brutal days, uh, and you walk through your hometown, and you know you see, the, you know all the normal people. Uh, w w what's your opinion when you see those? And these are my words now. But, uh, when you see those lazy, weak people that can't manage two flights of stairs uh, and, and and go in crisis mode, they're favorite food uh, is sold out in the supermarket i i feel sympathy yeah genuine i, I genuinely feel sympathy because th th they're a victim of their surroundings you know to be honest we, the world we not you and me but we've made life too easy for them and it's we're biologically in, ingrained to choose the easy path um in our nature so I feel I feel bad that you know cheap shit food is available all the time. Like you know they're just and they've been you know they, they everywhere you drive everywhere and everywhere you know everything's catered for you not to to move less right. Everything's catered for you to move less in this world. So I feel bad and also I feel bad that they've not potentially realized the just how amazing life is if you're fitter and you eat healthier. And you spend more time outside. Those three things, you know, spend more time outdoors, get fitter, and eat healthier. On it, you'll be a completely different person than you were if you change those three things. Now, if you choose a physical goal, you automatically will probably do those three things anyway. So, if I ever became president of Wales, uh, I would make it compulsory for everyone every year on the first of January to submit a physical challenge that they're going to do that year, no matter what it is. You know, your choice. You do it um and you you have to go for it so uh 
yeah, it's um, I feel I feel bad because they they they're growing up in a in a society that's been created by various companies and people that just makes them unhealthy, and it's you know they don't know any different really I guess and and that yeah I feel bad so I think again when I become president of Wales <laughs> I'll try to implement some strategies to make that stuff you know more difficult yeah and they're trying like in in Scotland they brought in a sugar tax so in Scotland. Things that had higher sugar levels just had a massive tax on it. And that worked. Like a lot of the soft drinks companies reduced their sugar levels massively uh, and things like that. So, you know, it's not all bad. It's not all bad, but it's still too easy to get unhealthy food at a, at a cheap price. Because unfortunately, the cheaper food is, is, sorry, the most unhealthy food is the cheapest. You know, I went to try and buy a free range chicken, uh, an organic free range chicken in my local supermarket, just a normal supermarket. The normal chicken was £5.90 just for a normal chicken. The, the same size next on the, uh, the shelf above it in a green packaging to make it look more fancy. Organic free range was £19 for a chicken. So even I'm like sitting there going like, I try to be healthy, but there's absolutely no way in a million years I'm going to not buy the £5.91 and buy the £19 one, um, which is stupid because I really, maybe all chickens should be £19 and the £5.91 shouldn't exist. Uh, so yeah, it's it's just, it's too easy. It's too cheap to buy crap food, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I, th I, I do agree to a very large extent, especially when it comes to this, um, they're a victim of their in, in environment in a sense of that the whole um, incentivation system of the food industry and also to a certain extent the medical industry but that would go too far now if we branch into that yeah. one but the, the food industry yeah. but and, and also the social the social industry you know people are getting getting you know because mammals have to beat their chest right so you know a lot of people get to beat their chest by running a fast marathon and everyone's impressed with that some people buy fast cars um but a lot of people just get it on social media and actually you can just sit at home and do nothing and still feel like you're socially important and you're doing something good. So there's a lot of pies and, and it's also people are lazy as well. But again, that comes from there's no, you know, they're not finding avenues to, to do it because it's harder, for example, like, you know, we, we were trying to sign my son up who's four years old for swim lessons near us. It was like a 18 month wait list for the local council swimming pool. If we didn't do that, we had to go private and it was like, 50 quid a lesson or something crazy like it was too much so you know there's there's lots of challenges to get people healthier and fitter and and more more outdoors but you know food is definitely one of them yeah i think the one that you mentioned with social media or just generally the notion that nowadays in our society it is you can stay at home and get free cheap dopamine hits as much as you want might yeah. it be exactly. ordering food or might it be watching porn or going through your YouTube or TikTok feed or um, binge yeah. watching on your favorite TV show? There's so, there's so many ways that you can get these free um, dopamine hits that yeah. make you feel good. And even maybe something more fundamental in your life doesn't really work well if you continuously feel good because of that. And also the issue is that all the things that bring you forward in life longer term typically in, in involve a reduced feeling of pleasure in, in the in the in the beginning. It's it's very difficult to get off that that train and in 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 the past I sometimes made it too easy for me and just um felt that 
you know, why aren't people just more determined or disciplined? You know, why can't they just, mm-hmm. you know, turn on that switch? But I, I do appreciate more and more that if you have gone through years, decades of indoctrination in a certain way and, you, you know, your your psychology, your habits, your your taste buds, your all of these kind of things have, have tuned in on a certain life that's very, very difficult to um, yeah. break free out of it. And the issue is not information. There's There's more than enough yeah, information yeah. out there yeah, yeah no totally and i i'm i'm sometimes get sucked down that i'm i don't have an addiction to social media luckily uh, as in scrolling um mine is looking at old cars on ebay <laughs> <laughs> ones i can't afford but i you know i search i just search classic cars and then i i i, I filter them to the nearest to me going further and further away and i do i honestly i spend I spent 20 minutes scrolling through a list of cars that I can't afford. And every time a nice one comes up and it's near me, I'm like, Ooh, that's exciting. So I get my little dopamine hit from seeing an old classic Mustang just down the road, even though I'm never going to buy it. But, um, yeah, that's, that's my uh, guilty pleasure, I guess. But, uh, but I, but then I get my dopamine hit from getting the green training peaks pie chart, you know, whenever time I get a green tick, one of my exercises, I get a dope, dopamine hit there so you know maybe that, that's at least a better one to get so i guess do you, um before we come to the end do you have a moby dick of challenges that you um want to do or would love to do or think about doing uh, you know i've not even thought about it like the 105 took so much out of me i was away f- and i wasn't away from the family but i was i was leaving at you know quarter to five in the morning getting home at eight o'clock at night or seven thirty. um and that was tough on my wife, Caroline, and, you know, I've got two young kids. So I think, you know, any thought of doing something that I'm far away is just, I've pushed it out. Of the, I can't do that to my family, you know, not yet. And not, they need to be a bit older. So I haven't thought about it. I am doing a world record in March, yeah, maybe April. I need to look at the weather. Um, in March, which is top secret, but um, I need to train. I've got a good base level for that. Why is that top secret? I think I because I don't want someone else to do it. And that makes a lot and, of sense. Make, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't want to, I don't, I don't want someone to make the record harder for me, basically. Because <laughs> I think it's achievable now, but there's definitely room for it to be smashed. And like, and there's a couple of, you know, athletes out there who, if they decided to do this one, it would take me another year to get to that level. Whereas it's still hard, don't get me wrong, it's bloody hard. And I don't know if I could do it. And that's half the challenge for me. You know, it needs to be difficult for me to get excited by it. Like if I knew I could do it, it's like, yeah. I don't get much satisfaction out of that. So there's got to be an element of uncertainty there. And this one is a massive element of uncertainty. Um, it is 22 days away from my family. Mm-hmm. So I need to run that by Caroline first. <laughs> so we, but I am excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And I think it's something that I'm, I've never done before, this sort of speed and distance so um yeah that's hopefully march but we'll see after being away for 100 plus days you know 20 almost seems like hey yeah uh you know you've anchored her pretty high (laughs) um yeah exactly yeah yeah. so can you say that can you phone her and say it's it's only 20 days it's fine (laughs) i think i have to yeah i have to mow the lawn no i'll mow the lawn anyway i have to do the ironing or i guess for for now until may march even um yeah so um for the end may i ask you three questions 
we call them the finisher questions, just getting your, you know, 30 second take on them. Okay. Yes. I'm terrible at doing quick answers, by the way, so that <laughs> I'll try my best to keep them short. But yeah, fire away. <laughs> if you could live your life again, what would you wish you would have fully understood at the age of 20? Uh, my physical capability. Yeah. yeah. I, had n I had zero belief I could do what I've done at the age of 20. And I wish I'd got into sport earlier in life. I was 30 when I started sport and started challenges. So yeah, definitely wish I'd, I wish I'd known because I may have been able to go down a slightly different career as in earlier on. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that was it really. Which decision would you take differently? Assuming there's a surgical way to change one decision and there's no butterfly effect from that. Uh, sorry. What? So, what decision? Which decision in life would you take differently if you could? If there's just you can change this one decision, it does not affect my whole right. life. Oh. It's surgical. Oh, one decision. Hmm. I wish I'd taken. No, I don't actually. No, that was good. I was going to say I wish I'd taken a different route through Arkansas when I cycled around the world because then I one when you had your accident. Over. Yeah, when I got my accident. But then, had I had I finished the if I let's say I'd broken the round the world cycle record, I I think I would have stuck to cycling, and I think I would have run out of things that made that got me interested. Whereas because I got run over, I sort of didn't want to do any cycling, so it forced me to think of other things, and that's why I got into swimming and got into running and long triathlon and stuff. So, you know. And that's been much more rewarding for me having the different disciplines and I quite enjoy that. So yeah, no, I'm going to backtrack on that one. Um, what would I have just removed with no butterfly effect? I don't think anything to be honest, because everything I've done, even the bad stuff has been like, has led to me then achieving something else later on, whether it's been motivational, whether it's been physical, whether it's been geographical. Um, so yeah actually actually the only one thing i do do wish is i wish all my family lived in, in wales you know my my father and sister live in south africa still and my mother lives in cheltenham we're getting her to wales hopefully soon but yeah it would be nice if if we if they were all living near me that would be that would be fun and lastly what does happiness mean for you uh it's means fulfillment yeah. Uh, so I think, I think the word happiness is dangerous. I think people think they should feel this happiness feeling all the time. And if they're not feeling that, then there's obviously something wrong with them and, you know, life must be bad. I don't think we should feel happy all the time. I don't think we should feel happy 20% of the time. I think we should feel content and fulfilled uh, from things we do. And I think that for me, you know, so when I plant my vegetables and I grow a massive pumpkin, you know, yes, I'm happy for two seconds, but actually I'm really fulfilled and content that I've managed to grow this massive pumpkin for Halloween and the kids are going to love it. And that for me is, is for me, true happiness rather than the joy, you know, cause I think joy, you know, happiness and joy get sort of kind of, put together in the same lump sometimes um you know like a roller coaster you're happy on a roller coaster but you know it didn't really change your life did it 
so that for me is what happiness is, is finding finding contentment uh in in things that i've done or am doing where should people go if they want to find more about you your work or the books that are worth uh, reading yeah so I, I instagram i guess sean conway adventure if you just search sean conway on instagram you'll find me there or seanconway.com uh but i'm i'm on all the other social medias if you just search my name you can't miss me you've got a massive ginger beard on i think i'm the only sean conway in the world with a massive ginger beard uh for now <laughs> uh so yeah um yeah check me out there and send me a message fantastic sean it was fantastic to have you on the show thank you so much for taking the time no thank you mate thanks very much Thank you for listening to the show. I would love to get your comments, suggestions, and feedback. Also, if there's a special topic you would like me to address or someone specific you'd love to see on the show. If you want to support me, please hit the subscribe button and leave me a rating. I hope you will listen in again on the next show. Until then, all the best.